Thanks for joining us here on the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsaniego.com. All right. Good evening, Light Church. There's four of you there. Good evening, Light Church. All right. Wasn't worship awesome? Well, four of you think so. So, wasn't worship awesome? I know, it was great. Good stuff. So, let's, uh, before we get on this journey together, kind of give you um, an idea of where we're going. So, as Benji said, we're going to continue the series of Everyday Kingdom. And what does that look like when it comes to identity and purpose, right? So, I think that sometimes, I know I was guilty of, at times, compartmentalizing my work life and my home life and my social life, but uh, in discovering that God has a desire for us to have a holistic life. So looking forward to having this journey as we talk about first uh, unsustainable uh, identity and purpose. And we'll look at a passage um, in Luke 18 that uh, views a man that was a good man, but some of the choices he was making wasn't sustainable when it came to his identity and purpose. And then we'll go down a pathway of saying, well, what, what does a sustainable identity and purpose look like? And uh, so can you do that with me tonight? Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and uh, just ask the Lord to bless our time this evening. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, for you are the hope giver. Uh, thank you, just as even Josh articulated, what it means to come to the table and to partake of the bread and of the wine that it's the truest form of worship, that it's all about Jesus. And so, Father, many of us come this evening um, maybe not feeling um, as close to you, uh, maybe some dealing with shame, um, but God, there's no shame at the cross. Your word says um, that there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And God, there's nothing that we've done last week, even last night, or even this morning, or what we'll do later on this evening or tomorrow that can separate us from your love. So Father, teach us from your word, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so as we think about um, kind of examples, right, of the workplace, you know, I think especially in California, it's easy for us to identify individuals in short snippets. You know, I think we all understand when we say someone is what, they're all business. We know what that means, right? Or he's next level. We, we've shortened it, right? Um, or we say she's buttoned up. We know what we're saying. Or the guy that we say he's psycho, right? We all know what that means when we identify an individual based upon the identity that either they have, whether it's in the neighborhood or whether they have in the workplace and so forth. But what's interesting is, when you look at this passage before we turn to it here, there's a, a young guy who had it all together. And this guy um, was wealthy, he was successful, probably had a lot of friends, uh, was respectful, was inquisitive, was probably well known as a community. So he felt, you know what, I've got a pretty good identity here. And then Jesus met him and touched him to where he was at. So let's take a look at that passage real quick. In Luke chapter 18, 
So if you have your Bible app, if you can turn to it on your phone, or if you brought your Bible, or otherwise you can see it up on the screen here. And let's just take a look at this passage here where Jesus meets what's considered the rich young ruler. So Luke 18, verse 18 says, Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And the young man said, all these things I've kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was rich and he was wealthy. So what we learn from the passage is this young man was wealthy, right? He was respectful. He was also inquisitive when he was asking Jesus the question. What was interesting is when he acknowledged Christ as good, the reason Jesus said, hey, why do you call me good? Because the original text, which was written in Greek, the word good the young man uses refers to God. So whether or not he's referencing Christ is God or not, meaning that he really believed it, or if he was just going along because he heard about this guy who claimed to be the Christ and the Messiah, so he just kind of threw that in there, uh, we don't know. But yet he at least acknowledges Christ as good. It's evident he's a good person. He's probably respectful of his mother and his father. He identifies that. And he probably really desired affirmation. He's a good guy. He's like, I'm a good guy. So here's this guy who's claiming to be the Messiah, so I'm going to go get validated from the Messiah himself and let him know, hey, well, here's my identity. I'm a pretty good guy. And Jesus says, no, man. There's one thing that you lack. Now, what Jesus wasn't saying was, hey, go sell your goods and you'll have eternal life. What he was saying was, the issue is your confidence is in your wealth. And because your confidence is in your wealth, in order to follow me, you have to give up everything. Are you truly willing to sacrifice what you're holding tightly onto? So what we find out is that this young guy who's very successful, wealthy, a good person, um, honorable, probably well-known in the community, and just a good dude, it just wasn't enough. His identity was wasn't sustainable. So it's interesting when we look at other identities, right? So when we think of now uh, modern day, right, when it comes to title or company or compensation, who I'm affiliated with, how many followers I have. As I'm starting an entrepreneurship, man, I have 32,000 followers that are constantly looking at me and I get my affirmation as I post things. So I begin to find my identity of do you realize who I am? And we kind of do that subconsciously at times as well. So I have a friend of mine um, who, um, it's it's funny, we laugh about this, and uh, he'll come across groups, and he's a a Christian dude, really good dude, and we'll be going to, um, could be anything from church-related or just out and about having lunch together. And so people, um, as we normally do, right, we say, oh, my name is so-and-so, and and then the next question is what? Oh, what do you do? Or what do you do for work? Which I think is interesting because we go right to a tactic of our life. We don't, that doesn't really define who we are, right? But our society and our culture is, 
really who you are is kind of, what do you do? And so they ask him, they say, hey, what do you do? He goes, oh, I work at Jack in the Box. And, um, you know, and I've seen it happen. And the guy says, oh, okay, well, nice meeting you, and walks away. Well, what he, um, for, what he uh, doesn't share is that I'm the CEO of Jack in the Box. Because that would be a different conversation, right? So what he says is, this is where I'm affiliated. And so you watch individuals that identity is important. And rather than taking the time to say, oh, well, what do you do at Jack in the Box? It's like, well, no, no, I'm, I'm going to walk away because either I can't gain something from that identity affiliation, right, from knowing you and meeting you, whereas if I were aware you're the CEO, I'd probably hang out with you a little bit longer and get more information and walk away and tell others who I know as a CEO. So I think that's a great representation um, of, not a great representation, but I think it's a good reference point to our society of identity and how important that is and, and where, we, where we're aligning ourselves that is unsustainable. So the question is, where can we gain an eternal identity which can lead us to an eternal purpose? So another way of asking the question would be, is where can I gain a kingdom identity with a kingdom purpose? Now, that might sound overly spiritual, but I can tell you it's much more sustainable. So we're going to walk through four points that will guide us from the Bible that gives us a sustainable identity, which leads to a sustainable purpose. So number one, starting first and foremost, is foundation. The foundation... It comes from God's true character. So the rich young ruler, his foundation was really financial security. That's where he based his foundation. Everything else, that's what he built off of. He built everything off of, I'm content, I have financial security, so now I'm going to go and do. So his foundation was his security. However, let's take a look at God's character. Let's take a look at... Um, Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7. So in Exodus, we're at a time in the Old Testament where God asked Moses, he gave him one request, and Moses said, I want to see you, I want to see the face of God. And God said to Moses, Moses, if you saw me, you would die. So I'll tell you what, I'll pass by you. And Moses said, okay, great. So God directed Moses to be in a crack within these two particular boulders and go in between them. And this is God going by Moses. So we really find out the character of God. So here we go. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty. So what we find is, wait a minute, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can think of God as more of a finger-pointing God, right? This, this judge that's sitting on the throne and saying, look at what you did here, Jeff, or what you didn't do there. So as I began to ponder that, I think we can think of our past, Right? All of us have a past, and uh, we have brokenness in our past. Some have greater brokenness than others. But it will go from one extreme to the other. If you're a child growing up in a, in a home, 
and you have parents or a parent that's constantly telling you how wonderful you are, you're wonderful and amazing, you're wonderful and amazing, you're wonderful and amazing, and that is the message, what are you going to think as an adult? You are wonderful and amazing, right? And so that brings a whole set of problems of not understanding, well, why doesn't everybody think I'm wonderful and amazing? Because I've been told my whole life I'm wonderful and amazing. The other side of that is coming from a place of brokenness. Maybe there's a level of instability in the home. Maybe mom was the, was the sole provider. Maybe dad was absentee. Maybe both were, weren't even available. Um, well, then we have maybe levels of fear, of insecurity, of concern, of shame. So in my case, it was shame. So mom came in, had a lot of hurt from her past, uh, some abuse there when she was a child. So when it came into our home, it was shame. It was saying something, oh, this is where you haven't measured up. So the message I got from mom was shame, 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 shame. So you can imagine then as I become a Christian, how do I view God? I'm viewing in more of a shameful way. But what I need to do is go to his character. His character is not shaming. It's merciful. It's good. And so it's interesting that when we look at the foundation, is, is my foundation built on God's character or my broken past. But yet God says, no, I'm good. I'm merciful. I'm long-suffering. I'm forgiving. I'm forgiving. So you can trust that. So where is our foundation? Is it in God's true character of who he is or my broken past? If we want to have a sustainable identity, an eternal identity, then we have to trust God's goodness. Second point is mission. What is God's true mission? So the rich young ruler, his mission was what? To be a good person. He even articulated that to Christ himself. He said, these are all the things I've done. These are all the commands I've, I've adhered to. I haven't broken any of them. I'm a good person. And Jesus rocks his world. Let's take a look at what God's mission is. Because God doesn't say, hey, go be a good person. Let's take a look at Matthew 28, 19. Matthew 28, verse 19. So this is as, he's, before he ascends into heaven, it's considered the great commission as he talks to his disciples and those around him. He says in Matthew 28, 19, go, therefore, that's an action, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I may have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So it's interesting that it's action. Jesus is calling us to go. So a sustainable identity begins, one, trusting in the character of God, which we can see in Exodus. He articulates that clearly of his character. But then secondly, he says, okay, now you know my character, now go. So what does it mean to disciple? It really means to go and, and invest into others. So let's say if you're a new believer and uh, you've come to Christ, um, you know, within the last year. Um, and that would be a great opportunity for you to get around other mature believers, say, hey, would you be willing to have a Bible study? I'm sure there's things here at Light as well to get involved in and begin to walk through the Bible to have a better understanding of this new life that you're walking. 
as well as then surround yourself with good accountability, mature believers that can love you and encourage you. The best way that I saw this modeled was actually um, through a couple buddies of mine without them knowing uh, that is like, wow. So there's a guy that I met by the name of Tim, and I just uh, met him in passing. Uh, we were just kind of in the same place. We ended up meeting one another, a young guy, um, young to me at least, 29, 30. And, uh, he, and we started chatting. And um, so anyways, we kept seeing one another a weekend and week out. And so I got his story. I said, hey, Tim, you know, tell me your story. And he's like, you know, um, he shared his past. He came from a really wealthy family on the East Coast and uh, made some poor choices uh, within the last 10 years or so. And um, he just said he was on a journey to really discover God and who God was. So long story short, um, over time, uh, Tim uh, became a Christian. And right then and there, um, I was speaking with another friend of mine about Tim. And he said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest into Tim. I'm going to disciple Tim. Now, this guy is married with three kids. So in the kids' age were five, uh, six, and eight at the time. So you can imagine that household is very chaotic, right? But he brought Tim into his household, and they began to meet on a weekly basis. And my friend just walked him through more of a Bible study. Then all of a sudden, Tim began to meet other people at his church. And uh, two other guys, uh, about 27, 28 years old, two very successful young guys. Uh, One uh, was uh, really doing his own company, and then another uh, of the guys was um, having a tremendous amount of success um, as a developer um, within his organization. So they're doing really well in their careers. But what they recognize is that their friend Tim needed investment, needed discipling. So they found out that Tim was going to go back home, back east, and they said, well, do you mind if we come with you? And he said, well, why would you want to come with me? And he said, well, we just want to support you through this time, you know, just in case, you know, you got some uh, challenges back at home, and we want to be, be there as uh, just support. Tim said, sure. So these two guys, they work at different companies. One owns his own company. The other uh, works for a really large organization. They took their own PTO, got off, got on a plane, flew back with Tim for a week back east coast. And what they determined to do with their newfound friend Tim is walk him to all the places where there was brokenness that Tim experienced in the 10 years of poor choices. And they began to lay hands on the buildings and pray over him. They began to lay hands even on the streets that they walked on. They went to all the places where Tim made poor choices and began to pray over those places. And what it did is it restored their friend. It gave him a newfound hope. So when we think of discipleship, yes, part of it is, you know, taking someone and going into the word with them. But are we willing to go to the extent of potentially discomfort and make the level of investment of true discipleship. And I think these two individuals, Brandon and Stephen in particular, really modeled well what it means to disciple. So number one, if we want an eternal, lasting identity, it starts with foundation of God's true character. Secondly, it's taking the mission of Christ seriously and going. It's not sitting, but it's going. Looking for those individuals to say, you know what, it's time to invest into someone else, or if I'm a new believer, to be invested into. 
Number three, building a sustainable identity is a strategy. So is God's true strategy. The rich young ruler, his strategy was to build himself up, and his reputation was critical. So that's what he desired. But what's God's strategy? Philippians 3, verse 7 and 8. Listen to this. What is God's strategy? Rich young ruler, build himself up. This is what the Apostle Paul says in verse 7 and 8 of chapter 3 in Philippians. He says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, and not having my own righteousness. Interesting. So God's strategy, or the rich young ruler's strategy, was to build himself up, his own reputation. Yet from this passage, what we're, what we're seeing is, no, it's less of me. It's not more of me. It's when I have those opportunities to articulate success, or when I have those opportunities to articulate who I know, when I have those opportunities to talk about all the things I've done and all the places I've been, as I say, put that aside. Let's hear your story. Less of me as I make the investment into others. So in the last 90 days, um, I've had three friends meet death on the doorstep. All three are believers. None of them know one another. Uh, my first friend, uh, Big James, he and I have known one another for some time. Uh, he uh, unfortunately passed away about six months ago, and um, he uh, left behind a wife, a 14-year-old, a 16-year-old, and an 18-year-old. So it was horrible, right? So I sit back and go, gosh, man, I, I just, I can't understand that. And I just remember when I'd go and visit him, uh, that's what I was thinking of. Like, oh my gosh, you know, how, how in the heck, why is this happening? And uh, James uh, in our conversations together, and I was with him all the way to the last day that he died, um, his conversation, it was interesting, was never centered around, you know, I'm really going to miss my company. Um, you know, I'm really going to uh, miss uh, my kids or miss my wife, which I know he was going to miss his kids and his wife. He loved them very much. But what he talked about at the end of his life was, he goes, Jeff, I just hope I did enough for eternity uh, with my time on this earth. And I thought, wow, am I thinking that way? Um, man, you talk about um, at the most vulnerable time knowing that you're going to die, Big James was like, you know, did I do enough? Two other friends articulated the same thing. One of them even said, I said, what have you learned through this process, through this cancerous process? This is a different friend. And he said, the empty praise of men and the wealth of the world mean nothing. So it's just so interesting that all three came to eternity. One was Christian for 25 years, another 20-some years, and another just one year. But all of them we're looking at eternity. So it's so interesting that that's where they focused. So to build a sustainable 
identity, right? It starts with the foundation of God's character. It's understanding what God's true strategy is, which is uh, less of me, right? And then fourthly is uh, tactics. God's, God's tactics are disruptive. So the rich young ruler, he wanted to live an easy, non-disruptive life. That's what really he desired. But guess what? When you follow Jesus, it's disruptive. It's kind of like an oxymoron, though. It's disruptive, but peaceful. Well, what does that look like? Well, let's take a look at Philippians 2. What, did, what is a disruptive, God's disruptive tactics look like? Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11 says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So God's tactics are so, so different than our tactics, aren't they? Here's Christ, the Son of God, and he could just say, hey, I'm the Son of God. You know, and just be done. But he didn't. He made himself of no reputation. He didn't take the title and flaunt it to everyone. So do you realize who you're speaking to? I'm the son of God. He didn't do that. He didn't take his title. He all, even went to the point where he died the most shameful death. It's dying on the cross in those days was the most shameful way to die. It's the lowest of the low in society. So Christ went to the lowest then he was exalted. So let's think through this from a simple way all the way down to a disruptive way. So what does it mean to be disruptive in God's tactics? Well, let's think of a neighbor. Do we have a neighbor? Maybe I'm only in a one-bedroom apartment, but my neighbor next door is loud, obnoxious. You know, Am I willing to go knock on the door and say, hey, I have a few friends coming over tomorrow night. You want to come over for dinner? Let's go a little bit deeper. Maybe all of a sudden uh, you're with your girlfriend and uh, you gals are out or guy in a gallery out or wherever you're at and you, you overhear someone talk about moving and how they need help and you don't even know them. Is there a willingness to get in that conversation and say, hey, my name's David, you know, my name's Jennifer. I just heard you say you need help moving. When, when are you moving? I'd love to help you. What about even getting m deeper than that? What about your enemy? So, in my uh, executive past, there was a co-executive of mine that uh, he didn't care for me and I didn't really care for him. So, to say the least, right? Um, you could, if you knew him, you'd understand why I didn't care for him. I just couldn't understand why he didn't care for me. So, but this individual would say things. Um, we were in a large organization. So he would say things about me and critique me and just undercut me, you know, just. And so what I would do is I was a little bit more strategic how I would impact him. I was a little bit more of a, what you call, I don't know, a snake maybe. So 
I would do things that were a little bit more strategic, a little more subtle, and then the room would go, oh, yeah, yeah, Dave, yeah, he's not a good guy. Well, you know, it's not for me to say, but, you know, you guys, if you said it, you said it, right? So basically, um, and Dave wasn't a believer, and so I was the Christian, right, in the organization, a real uh, great example of Christ, right? So... Um, so years later, years go by, and uh, just like many of you, uh, we send out Christmas cards uh, to our friends and family and so forth, and then I also get Christmas cards for uh, business uh, relationships. So I'm filling out my Christmas cards, and then all of a sudden, God brought Dave to my mind, how um, I had treated Dave in those, that, that time together, and I, just, I really just felt sick, sick in my stomach that I treated him the way that I did. And, um, you know, I said, Lord, you know, forgive me. And he said, yeah, okay. You know, I forgive you. It's all good. I'm like, okay, good. He goes, now what I want you to do is uh, write him a note. And I'm like, do I really have to write him a note, Lord, you know? And just uh, kind of battling that carnal nature. And I'm like, no, you're right. So I just, I got the card out. And I'm like, what? what do I write, you know? This is such a difficult relationship. It's going to be so random for me to write him. He's going to be like, what are you talking about? And so I'm thinking, like, what do I write? What do I write? And I just, you know what? I just wrote the first thing that came to mind. I said, hey, Dave, sorry I was a butt, you know? (laughs) And I said, sorry I was a butt. Um, You know, I really wish you well. Um, It's it's great to see that uh, you're being blessed in, in the in your, in your career, and I wrote some other things on the note. Um, but, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't get any call from Dave, and we're not best buddies now and barbecuing together. But uh, it was interesting through God's grace of just saying, you know, Lord, you're right. So God's disruptive tactics, um, are we willing uh, to listen, right, when the Spirit says, hey, I want you to do this? Are, are we willing to... Uh, Take the time when we go to the coffee shop and we see someone that is uh, sitting there alone and um, just walk up to them and say, hey, you know, my name's Jeff, what's your name? Oh, you know, and find out that they're new in the area and say, hey, you know, us girls or us guys or us families, we're getting together on Friday, why don't you come over? It's, uh, I know it feels uncomfortable because that's our carnal, our, our carnal nature. But when we look at an eternal nature, that's, that's where God begins to move, is in the simplicity of the day of taking our time and uh, reaching out to those that are right in front of us in line, as an example. Okay, so as we recap this kingdom perspective, right, of a sustainable, lasting identity, it, one, begins with foundation, which is God's character. It's not my character. It's not my brokenness of where I came from. It's the foundation of God's character. Understanding the mission. It's time for, it's time for us to go. It's time for us to invest, have a study, and, and, and go to that extent for those that are new to the faith. Strategy, less of me. You know what? No need to promote myself anymore where I work, what I do, how successful I am, who I know, and then the tactics of serving others, even our enemies. C.S. Lewis wrote, the natural life knows that if the spiritual life gets a hold of it, 
all its self-centeredness and self-will are going to be killed. And it's ready to fight tooth and nail to avoid that. So it's amazing, right? When we think about our carnal nature versus this new nature that we have in Christ. So the question is, how can I do this? How can I do this new life of truly leaning on God's character and understanding the mission to go and the strategy of less, less of me and the tactic of serving others? Or Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 puts it clearly. It says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you. Put your name in there. John, I will never leave you. Jennifer, I will never leave you. Dave, I will never leave you. Jeff, I will never leave you. Nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So lasting identity. And finally, lasting identity leads to purpose. Our purpose, friends, is to serve an audience of one. That is our purpose. Our purpose is not to say how great we are. Our purpose is not to align ourselves with popular people. Our purpose is to say, God, I want to honor you. That's all that matters. Friend, the um, miracle of Christianity is not abiding by the principles of Christianity. Being kind, being good. Um, those are all good things. Serving others, those are good things. The miracle of Christianity is when we come to the cross and say, I can't do this. And Jesus says, now I got you where I want you. Because that's when we see the miracle happen. When your testimony and my testimony is, there's no way I could love Dave. There's no way I could ever send him a note. Do you realize what he said about me and what he did to me? And God says, yes. But Jeff, will you trust me? Because I'm doing a different work than what you see. Friends, we serve an audience of one. And the words of Jeremiah, I love, 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 and we'll close with this. Jeremiah 34. I'm sorry, Jeremiah 34, 11 to 14 says, oh, wrong one, sorry. There it is. Jeremiah 29, 11 to 14 for I know the thoughts I think towards you, and put your name in there. Dave, Stephanie, Jennifer, Crystal, Jeff. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me. And I will listen to you, Dave. I'll listen to you, Stephanie. And you will seek me and find me. When you search for me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, says the Lord. So friends, the miracle is to say, I can't do it. And God says, man, just wait. I got a great plan for you.
Let's go ahead and uh, have the worship band lead us in one last song here. Thanks for joining us here on the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsaniego.com. 